Be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this group. Now, thank you, Lord, that we know the answer, and yet you invite us to sit in the questions. And so through this study, Lord, we just seek to, uh, to really connect with uh, your connection and to uh, understand how you understand us. And, and rather than just uh, whisking through the, the story once again, uh, we, I pray that you would give us uh, understanding and faith. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are going through uh, this book by Scott Erickson called Honest Advent. I found it at a conference a year or two ago. It's kind of sat on my shelf and it's always called to me and I uh, picked it up and I thought, I wonder if this would be really good. And I looked at it and, you know, you might love his, his writing style and you might not. It's a little like lowbrow, you know, it's a little familiar, it's a little um, casual is a good word, yeah, it's a little casual, um, but, and, and in fact, I've noticed that as, as I, I'm sure it says I get older, but as, as, as authors get younger, you know, as, <laughs> as new authors come in, they write like their age group, you know, and they write, so he kind of writes, uh, and, and actually some of um, the book we're going to go through in Lent uh, that guy writes like a millennial. They write like uh, like people who grew up looking at screens their whole lives. Um, with a, and, it is, and I think it's it's fine. You just have to understand the content actually quite is quite good. So I'm inviting you to uh, get used to the to get used to the writing style. Some of you connect with it really easily, and some of you and some of you may not. Uh, I, it took me a few chapters, honestly, which just means I'm getting old. Um, I thought it was great. Anyway, so there's uh, each week we're going to go through probably three of the readings, and this today is the third, so we're just going to do the three, first three, and then next week will be the tenth, and we'll go through three of those. So between four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we'll go through three of them. Feel free to uh, email me and say, "Man, I love number eight, or I love number you know whatever it is," and, and I'll take a look at that. We'll just go through three of them. I don't know that I'll have it quite together enough to tell you which ones ahead of time I'm going to go through. So you'll just have to read them all. And, um, but one of the interesting things is, so he's, he, Scott Erickson is an artist. He actually, he's also a performer. He's got a couple of one-man shows that he go, takes on the road. And, and if we really love him, maybe we'll invite him to come. I don't know where he is. Austin, Texas, I think is where he is. Um, but he, uh, he, he's just kind of into vulnerability, into art, into words. And, um, and I like what he's done because each reading starts with a simple uh, but variously profound uh, piece of art. And so on page 15 you have, uh, you have the Annunciation. And so this is, this is, if you can see this, this is the, if you're, if you're on it, this is, this is the... Uh, piece of art, and I wonder what you what you what you get from just looking at this piece of art. What what is what stands out to you? It looks a little bit Indian. Yeah. Okay. I I, I, I can see that. 
an angel and man. Angelic. Well, yes. Yeah. So it's it's obviously the Annunciation. You know, you know from the title uh, what's going on here, right? Uh, it's the angel. It's the flow. The flow. Down from angel to Mary. The flow it's just in one continuous line from from down. What else do you see? Moses, we've got uh, a book over here if you like, George. Um, so, one of the things I noticed was that the angel is uh, gilded. It's gold all around. Because that's the message from the angel. Gabriel has come from heaven. And the only other gold is in Mary's belly. Because he also has come from heaven. Okay. And another thing I noticed about this... Um, piece of art is that is that their eyes are not exactly on the same level that the angel the way the angel sees is just a little higher than the way Mary sees just a little bit she's wonderful she's super wise uh, and it's just amazing to, to contemplate Mary I mean and I really I think that's one of the great things about um, this book it invites us to, to contemplate this this child this 14 or 15 year old girl who, who must have been, I mean, just we're talking about it, but just stunning. And yet, uh, in her in her own wisdom, and yet she was still a girl. And so, uh, the way that she sees is a little lower than what the angel could see. Joe, yes. I see her hands. Uh huh. One her. is embracing the child, and the other larger depiction is, I think, oh my God. Pushing back. That's a very that's insightful. Yes, one embracing, one pushing back. Isn't that the life of faith? Yes. Yes, we embrace it, except maybe not so much, right? Yes, we want to, but it's hard to. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, right? That's a great insight. Thank you. She really said, nice. How can this be? Right. So let me uh, let me read the Annunciation from Luke chapter one. Now, when we were in Israel a few years ago. We went to the uh, place where the, um, the angel allegedly came to Mary. And I've always pictured this sort of, you know, mud-walled you know, building. But in that area of Galilee, they, they dug their homes out of the limestone. And so she lives down in this, essentially a cave, but it's not just a rock cave. It's, it's they all live I mean, many, many of them live this way. Jesus grew up this way, right down, uh, you know, right, right there. But it's, um, it's, you know, they carved out stairs down in there, and they kept them cool in the summer and warm enough in the winter. And uh, but she's in this limestone cave, and now there's this giant basilica over it, and half the wall, the one of the walls is missing, and you walk around to it and come up, and it's behind it, like this cave, so you can't go in. But it's amazing to, to think this is in the underneath the ground. This is where the angel came and told. I mean, it's just, it makes me emotional just to think about it. That the angel came and told Mary um, that she was going to be the mother of God. It is uh, amazing. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. So he is. He is. The word angel means messenger. Right, Angelos means means messenger, and um, and he was a messenger from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, 
uh, which is, uh, it must have just been a, just a podunk drip little nothing uh, back then. It's pretty nice now, actually, because so much is built around the uh, tourism of it, really. Uh, to a virgin betrothed, which is like sort of engagement that required a legal divorce. It was, it's, they weren't married, they hadn't consummated their marriage, but they had, um, but they were engaged, but you couldn't un be unengaged without a legal action. She was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She could not have possibly known just how with her he was. <laughs> And I think that's really beautiful. But she was greatly troubled in the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. Now, here's my question. What were the options? What were the, what were the different ways that she's trying to what were the things she was trying to discern? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? What, what could she have, what could have gone through her mind? Oh, this sound, this is a, what kind of, what, what were the options? This was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. It's a bad dream. There's some, something in that hummus I ate last night, right? It just something. Why me? Why me? Oh. Why me? <clears throat> What else? What's next? What's next? Now that's, I think that comes towards the end of the conversation, for sure. I want to talk about what Erickson talks about. What else? Just a question. What do you mean? You, what do you mean? So the, all of us, she's minding her own business. She's probably, what do you, I mean, what do you do if you live in a cave um, and, and the sun's already gone down? I, I don't know. Um, she's trying to go to sleep, or maybe she was asleep. She's probably not reading, you know, they didn't really have books. So what is she, she's, I don't know what she's doing. I have no idea. But all of a sudden, the room fills with fiery, heavenly light. And the only thing I can think, I mean, every other instance when, almost every other instance in Scripture, when an angel shows up, you, you hit the ground. I mean, it is, it is, this is not like, oh, that's so beautiful. This is terror. I'm in big trouble. Like, I thought I was pretty good, but I must have done something. Or, you know, I just think that, that like, she's, she thinks this is so unusual. And, and I mean, I think, I think Luke is necessarily understated. She was greatly distressed and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Like, this is an oh heck kind of moment, uh, at least. And so, um, and yet, what is the first thing he says is do not fear. Do not fear. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. That's the, you know, that's the number one command in Scripture. Fear not. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. Jesus is the Greek, is from the Greek, but Joshua is, is the same name. God is salvation. And he will be great 
And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is information overload. I, I, I mean, can you imagine what this child is thinking as he's saying, you're going to have a son. And you're going to name him God as salvation. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And he's going to... God's going to give him the throne of David. And Mary said, I don't like, let's, can I just go back to square one for a minute? I am not even married. How, how, I know how this works and I am engaged, but I don't know how this, you think this is going to happen. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Now this is, of course, fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah. But um, twice we hear God called what? What is God called twice in this passage? Oh, you don't have it in front of you. Sorry, you just had to, you had to be good listeners. Most High. And so what we hear in this passage is that the Most High has now become Most Low. That He who was on high came to a cave in the womb of a virgin underneath the ground and he who is high has made himself very low and she says get out of here I don't want any part of this that would be perfectly reasonable now she says behold I'm the servant of the, God, of the Lord let it be to me according to your word so let me read what Erickson says about revelation He says, and I'm on page 17, I'm, um, right, starting in the middle and then the last paragraph. So all great stories come at a cost, and the cost of Revelation is that it's going to ask something of us. All that you had planned, this is a couple of hours down, all that you had planned is ending. It's all over. Everything is going to change. Most of all, you. Like, that's what happens with Revelation. When Jesus Christ was revealed to you as your Savior, everything changes. Your eternal destiny changes. Your moral compass changes. The one in whom you trust to tell you who you are changes. But if we, if we ever pray, why don't you just you know, send a brick to hit me in the head, send a neon sign. I, have you, I've prayed those prayers, right? Anytime God shows up and says, here's what's going to happen, like you're you're leading a whole nation out of Israel and I mean out of Egypt to Israel through through the Red Sea, or you you are fighting the Lord's uh, army uh, with uh, three hundred. I mean you're you're fighting the army of Babylon with three hundred knuckleheads, you know, or or something like it. It, it is um, it is a scary scary proposition, and it would have been that way for Joseph, and it certainly would have been that way for Mary as an unmarried woman in a patriarchal society. But the rub of Revelation, it's the last paragraph, the rub of Revelation is that it's a transformation you're not in charge of. <laughs> and he gets a little millennial about what he, what he, the examples he gives. So I'm turning the page. Yes. Maybe for you it's your relationship with your in-laws, your finances, 
your dead-end job with this annoying micromanaging boss, or your unceasing anxiety. But, it's, this is, oh. but it seems that revelation does not transform the places you want to transform. It transforms all the things you dreamed and planned for your best-case scenario. Mary is married to a carpenter. She's going to live a middle-class life. She is uh, going to have uh, however many kids that she's going to have. She's, she's got it all planned out. And the angel shows up. And now she's the girl. Not only is she carrying God, and she's got to keep up with God as a toddler, but she, um, she is the one who got pregnant outside of marriage. And she is the one who's uh, going to have to tell her betrothed husband-to-be, it's not what it looks like. Um, Mary was necessarily taken through a gauntlet, and I think it probably would have been incredibly obvious to her. And she says, with incredible humility and maturity, let it, me, let it be to me according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. Um, so what did it look like for her afterwards? Not very good. I think, I'm sure it was very hard at, at first. But I, I don't know about you, I love uh, the portrayal of Mary in The Chosen. If you've watched, it, watched The Chosen, she is kind and joyful and wise and hurts, feels hurt deeply and feels joy um, effusively. And if you haven't, uh, there is a... Uh, Christmas special, I think after season two, I hadn't been keeping up with it, but where she, she speaks the Magnificat, it is unbelievable. I mean, I oh, just waterworks. Just it's some, it's go watch. All right, let's go to chapter two. The word gave, gave life to everything that was created, and life brought light. His life brought light to everyone. That's from the New Living Translation. So I'm going to read a different translation, which is says it a little bit differently. But what do you, when you look at this simple image, we're going to spend the least amount of time on this one because I definitely want to spend all 15 minutes on the next one. Uh, when, you, when you look at this image, what do you see? The baby at the source of the light. The baby at the source of the light, yes. The baby is, in, and not just in the light, but as the source. What else? The concept is going to burn it all down. Wow. He's going to burn it all down. I um, hadn't gotten quite that far. Yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. Fire is beautiful and well, dangerous. Again, it's a match. Yes. We're, a match. we're not seeing a flame. We're holding, you're seeing a hand. Yes. And it's going to burn. It's, it's lit the flame. Yes. It's going to burn everything. All right. What else? Look very closely at the baby. What do you see? What do you notice? It's an embryo. It's not, it's not a fully formed baby. It is a few cells. It is a few cells. And, it is rem and that life, his life was the light. His incarnation, his coming uh, was... Uh, the light of all people. So let me read John chapter 1. The great 
the great John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. It's the agent of all creation, Jesus the Son. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, here, here's, the, here's the, this is the English Standard Version, um, which I like a lot. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And that, that is a um, plural phrase. It, just does, it means all people. In him was the life of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's a, a closer to what the passage, the translation we're familiar with. So his life is the illuminator, and what does it show us? It shows us not only our lives, but it shows us him. He is lighting the way for us to see the way to him. He is the way, right? The way, the truth, and the life. What, what, uh, if, for those of you who read this, uh, this chapter, what, was anything, anything stand out to you about this? Particularly? Let's look on page 24. And then we'll go to 27. But uh, in the scriptures, you'll find that physical evidence is not the evidence we are offered for faith to rely on. Right? Uh, if you look through the scriptures, you'll find that phys- if you look through the scriptures, you'll find that physical evidence is not the evidence we are offered for faith. Right? We're in spiritual evidence. And one of the best examples uh, is when Jesus is, is teaching his disciples. We actually talked about this passage in the sermon last week. Uh, his disciples uh, and references for the final judgment when apparently these two realities the seen and the unseen become one he says that some people gave him food when he was hungry and they actually thought of course that he was they were giving other just regular people food Uh, the people say they never saw Jesus hungry or thirsty and he replies when you gave food to the least of these you were giving it to me and it's mysterious Jesus is pointing to uh that the action of loving and caring for others in need opens the portal to this larger reality, the heavenly way. So there's a physical giving, but there's a spiritual giving as as well. Uh, It's through this physical world that we are invited to connect with the hidden reality of God. And so he goes on to talk about there's a hidden part of us as well. Like you are not just uh, you know, two eyes and a nose and a mouth and a brain. You, you are a uh, soul and spirit as well. There's this hidden part of us that that we, we might talk about as personality, um, but it, it's a part of us that can't be taken away. It's, um, you know, you might have an identical twin with a completely different personality. The soul and the spirit is is different. And um, and so, but, but then again, you might, from your father or your mother, you might have a very different physical appearance, but a very same very similar spirit. Um, so Jesus lights the way to that hidden, more than physical part of the soul, right? Uh, the, and that's the place where we need him the most. So I've underlined this, uh, pa- this paragraph towards the bottom on 27. What gives me hope in this Advent season is the reminder that everything can be taken away except that hidden part of me. Whether I lose my savings, my house, my title, or my very livelihood, what is untakeable is the part of me that Jesus illuminates. 
the deeper self that was woven into this world but is anchored in a much larger world. And the gift of my life is a doorway to a much larger reality. And Jesus is the light that shows me the way. In other words, He made you to be a particular kind of thing. He made you that for His glory. And you cannot see that without Him. And so His life is the light for all people. And that's something to reflect on uh, for us in Advent. And particularly as we wait for His coming, I love that He gave us uh, an embryo. Uh, because a lot of times, we see, like if we read in the Old Testament, one of my professors used to say, this is the gospel in embryo. Um, we, we see what God is doing in our lives. You may not be able to put all the pieces together because His action is still in embryo. Um, there is a there's a sort of mystical uh, waiting that is really marks all of our lives, but certainly Advent is that season uh, of waiting. Thoughts? Something to offer about the light? I want to refer to it as, a, as our essence because it's different with each person. But what, there are so many people, I think, that have a hard time. If they can't validate it physically, this is a box, this they, they kind of like discount the spiritual as not being real or creepy because there's no way to really put it, make it fit in their world. Yeah, Susie's saying that there's some people that discount the spiritual because and only rely on the physical because the spiritual is very hard to put it into a, a box, it's hard to make it fit, and you're right. I mean, try putting the Holy Spirit in a box. I mean, like it just, that didn't, that didn't work. Um, and I think it does make people uncomfortable. It feels, you know, people say it's woo-woo. You know, have you heard of that? And, um, and, and all I can say is that I would feel the same way. And sometimes I do feel the same way if it weren't the light showing me that I need to be open to it. Like that's, like anything that you see about Jesus that is true is there because he opened the, he, his light shone on that for you. And um, like, I don't think any of us could ever even acknowledge that He is our Lord and Savior. We can understand about Him and, the, and know that the Bible is about Him, know that He walked the earth. Um, we can question that. We can learn a lot of things about God. But unless the only way to know God and to know what God wants us to know about ourselves is because Jesus is the light. It's all grace. It's all grace. All right. I'm the most excited about number three. Why are you laughing at me? And it might sound strange because number three, chapter three is called motherhood, and I've never been a mother. Um, but I know one pretty well. I actually know a couple of them pretty well. This picture is stunning, but it's a copy. He ripped it off. I'm going to share it with you. And he talks about it. He's, he says, he says, this is the, this is, this is it. And I don't have enough for everybody. You're going to have to show it to the, here, you show, it. show it to the, the people. Here. If you were to want a copy of this, it's called, uh, I think it's called Mary and Eve by um, Sister Grace Remington, I believe. Grace Remington, I think is her name. 
And I absolutely love it. So there's a few differences in his version and her version, but the message is essentially the same. What, what do you see in this, in this picture by Sister Grace Remington? Mary's foot is on top of the snake. Mary's foot is on top of the head of the snake. And I'm going to read that passage from Genesis in just a minute. What else? The snake embraced the humanness in Mary, but she is destroying him with her Yes, so the passage that I'm going to read from Genesis 3 says, says you will bruise his heel. And so he's, he, the snake's wrapped around the heels of, of Eve. But, but he will bruise your head. So Mary's stepping on this. That if, you, if you watch the Passion of the Christ, uh, in the very beginning, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the snake comes through and he's Jesus. Before, just as, as the soldiers come up, Jesus steps on the head of the snake. I have a question. Yes, sir. Most. Mary experienced pain because he has got a sad look on his face. I'm sorry that I'm causing you to have pain for the first part of the world. Now, that's an interesting way to frame that. So, for those who online or those listening, um, Moses said, Did Mary experience pain in childbirth because. Uh, Eve looks like she's saying, I'm sorry for the pain that you're about to receive. Because that's the curse, right? Eve. I expect that she experienced quite a bit of pain. Because that was before anesthesia. Um, what else? Alicia? There's also a juxtaposition of color here. Which is the purity of white and the blue juxtaposed against the red of, I assume, sin or. The, so you have the red of sin juxtaposed to the purity of the white. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, that's a great insight too. The author has had Eve drop the apple or put it down. The author did. The author, in the author's rendition, the the apple is behind, and I wonder if that's because it just got lost in the in the monotone, you know, the one color, or if there, if he was trying to say something about, about that. So Eve is covered up. She's naked, obviously. She's covered up by her hair. Um, but, uh, and, and Mary is clothed, as you said, in, in righteousness. And, um, and so there's this, there's this incredible gaze between the two. What else? Yes. I mean, there's a lot of unspoken going on. It's almost intuitive that they maybe have never met before, but they, it's like women's intuition. They just know. Yes. Seeing anything. What's, what they, they go sharing a lot, but there, there's fear, there's communication, nonverbal communication, and there's a lot of love and tenderness. But, yeah. But they've never, never met before. Yeah, so, so Ralph said it looks like they've never met before, but they have so much to share. And actually, I don't know if you've read the book, but, but actually it, that's exactly what Erickson says. It's like they're at a cosmic party where they don't know each other at first, but when they get introduced, 
They find out they're deeply connected on many levels. They also notice they have a billion mutual friends on Facebook. He's so millennial. He's so millennial. He's so annoying. Um, no, I, I saw this, this painting a few, a, few, a few years ago. And it is just... Uh, but Erickson really, I think, is very helpful with Eve, particularly, and with their shared experience. Because Eve gets um, kind of thrown out with the bathwater a lot. But there is this sadness, like, this is what I, I'm sorry, not just that I'm sorry for what you're going to experience, at least as I take it, but I'm sorry for what I caused. Yeah. Right. And here's the answer. And, and there's this, um, they're holding hands. Her hand is on the belly, and Mary's gaze is sort of really looking at at the heart, at, at Eve's heart, or maybe at the apple. Yes, the apple. Um, and um, but Eve can can't take her eyes off the baby, right? who has, is the redemption that she has longed for. But actually, I love. I mean, I just was arrested. By what Erickson says. Now, Erickson, uh, Scott Erickson, he's obviously, he's a man. If you read about it, he's, he's married with, with children. But he's an artist, so he's a little more tender than I am. So he says, in my opinion, the little that has been written about Eve has been used against her by male chauvinists. <laughs> that can't be right. Um, just kidding. In the flannel board story of her life, she gets two paper cutouts, biting an apple and then being cursed as the first mom to go through painful childbirth. That's it. We don't talk about how hard it must have been to do something for the first time. No guides, no mentors, no mommy blogs with tried and true strategies for maintaining sanity. It's easy to knock down the forerunners of human living who made mistakes. It's harder to see through the one-dimensional religious narratives that every mom has the unbelievably challenging task of raising children the best that she can. Mary takes the hand of Eve and places it on her belly to let her feel the hidden manifestation of the restoring hope that is growing in her womb. And yet, this is... And yet it's also the movement of sobering solidarity, accepting entrance into the great cloud of witnesses of broken-hearted moms who have lost their children too early. Ouch. It has never crossed my mind to consider that Eve was the first mother to bury a child. Oh, she was. She was. That Cain killed Abel. Cain killed Abel, right. And so there is, there is this sharing as well between Mary and Eve. This Mary hasn't experienced that yet. She will. But she will. And I just, I appreciate that insight so much. What else do you see? Let me, let me go ahead and read from Genesis chapter 3. Because this really, I think, is the message of the, the, message of the whole picture, I think. It, I mean, there's this union of... Um, the sinner and the redeemer, the cause of sin and the the, the coming uh, savior, and 
it's not at, you know, Paul kind of does Adam and Jesus, the first Adam and the second Adam. Um, but, but this is such a tender between Eve and Mary. But Genesis 3 is, is fully in view because it's the defeat of sin is, is, is what's in view. Um, the Lord God said to the serpent, so this is the judgment after the fall, because you have done this, cursed are to you above all livestock, above and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he doesn't just mean Eve or women, but all of the, the offspring of, of women. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So it's interesting, in, in Genesis, the, the condemnation of the snake actually comes first, but the snake still continues to bruise the heels of, of people. Um, so the snake in the picture is wrapped around the heels of Eve, and yet uh, is, his head is crushed by uh, the, the mother of of the Savior. Um, because ultimately he's defeated, and yet, I mean, that's our life, isn't it? And we, we, we have a victorious Savior and a defeated foe who continues to nip at our heels. Um, and if you've had a sprained ankle, uh, then you know that walk, you, you may have a, a healthy body and good cholesterol levels, but if you can't walk around very well because your heel hurts, right? Plantar fasciitis, right? It hurts real bad. And so, um, you might be well, and yet it is uh, still bruising, bruising. And I just think that that's a um, this this image of it still wrapped and yet defeated is also uh, quite insightful. Interesting, Joe. The, uh, the, the this painting is is uh, is done uh, with the garden and all the fruit around it. It's interesting because you look at it and there's a lot of fruit there. Yes. Yes, there's, there's a lot of fruit in the garden, but it looks more like pears than apples. It does. It now, does. It, never <laughs> says in the, it never says in Genesis that, no, it's, that it's an apple. It just says it's fruit. But, we, but so there's, there's three kinds of uh, fruit, right? Three kinds of fruit in this, in this picture. You've got the fruit of the garden all around. You've got the fruit in the hand of of Eve, where she, that is uh, symbolic of her um, disobey, disobeying of the, um, of the one rule. They only had one rule. Yep. And there's the fruit of Mary's womb. Yes. Uh, the manna from heaven. And, it, and, and yet, and also there's this sort of, you know, if you looked at any icons, I'm not a big icon guy, but if, uh, they're all, they all have bold, uh, gold backgrounds. Meaning they, there is this uh, divinity, this, uh, this purity, this holiness that uh, comes through. And so uh, Eve certainly uh, has the same background as Mary. In other words, she is fully redeemed uh, by this child and fully welcomed by this mother. And it is so beautiful. And I just hope that you will spend some time in Advent uh, thinking about that. Um, He says, Emmanuel means God with us. This divine gift comes to us through one of us into the womb 
of a blessed and humble teenage woman and honors and dignifies the sacrificial and wholly involved life of being a mom. And he's used some parentheses there to make holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and holy, H-O-L-Y, uh, the same word. The wholly involved life of being a mom. Whether, or not you're a, whether you're a mother or not, may you learn from the courage of Eve and Mary, who found themselves in complicated first-time situations. So, did they ever. And may you bestow on your very own first-time situations the same grace, kindness, and honor that we give to them, not just Mary, but to Eve. And I just think, I think his perspective is... Uh, at least for me, it's unique, it's a little convicting, and it is uh, helpful, really helpful. Do you have thoughts, either about what he wrote or about any more about this painting? It's actually not a painting, it's crayon and pencil. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? That the, the child of God was born by the spoken word of God, hence the immaculate conception. And the child, uh, Jesus, is born in us by the word of God. Yes, so uh, Doc said that, that he was conceived immaculately by the spoken word of God. God spoke him into being just as he himself spoke light and life into being with, with just a word. And he was spoken by the word of God into her womb, embryonic in form. And, his, uh, and he speaks life into us, born in us, um, uh, that faith. So that's, that's right. That's right. Um, the Son of God became a son of man so that all sons and daughters of men might become sons and daughters of God. A lot to ponder in this. So, um, I don't have anything else I need to say about this, but I do hope that you will uh, continue to, to ponder this and read chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and we will uh, talk about at least three of them uh, next week. And we've got some extra copies, so bring your friends. Bring your friends. So if you have a book, we'd love for you to take a book. And if you have $10, great. If you don't have $10, then, um, then bring it next week. But, but don't wait to take a book. Just go ahead and take a book. And if you wanted to, you know, I think, they're, I think they were $20. So something like that. So if you wanted to pick that up, that'd be great. God bless you. If you haven't already been to church, please go to church. If you have been to church, go home and enjoy your day. And remember that we're having this in a very short meeting next week to select delegates to convention. Uh, you'll want to come for the early service, stay for the meeting and honest advent, and then leave and probably turn right out of the parking lot because of the marathon. God bless you. Check on the back here.